Writer, producer, director, actor. He's synonymous with genre-bending, innovative horror. Well-respected and loved by his by millions. Admired by his peers. Adored by his fans. But enough about me. Let's discuss Wes Craven films uh-huh. tonight on <laughs> Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Should have known. Should have known. <laughs> Time for another episode of Attack Attack. Oh my god, here we go. Slow down. Slow it down. has begun. Okay. It is time for another episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Who came up with the name of the show anyway? Uh, you and me, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> you. Anyway, so this episode we're going to do another one of our director retrospects. Um... And this time we're going to be talking about Wes Craven. Woo! Woo! First, the first before we get into that, it's time to introduce you to the podcast crew. He keeps telling himself, "It's only a podcast. It's only a podcast. It's only a podcast." Jason Bollinger, everybody. Hey, hey, everybody. What? Next up, he's a dream warrior, Dustin <laughs> Neal. Yes. <laughs> What's up, everybody? <laughs> and lastly, she's our own Cindy Prescott, Nancy Thompson, and Horace Pinker all rolled into one. What? Terry Turford. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, everybody. <laughs> How's everybody doing? Good, good. Good. I can speak better. Well, you, you sound better. I, I can speak real good. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, before we get into the, tonight's topic, let's do a little bit of killer news. Now it's time for killer news. Straight from the headlines on Attack of the Killer Podcast. It follows. Keeps gaining traction at the box office. Oh my now god, dude. It sounds awesome. I so want to see that movie. <laughs> now expanded nationwide. The film has pushed back its VOD release, and Mike, that's video on demand. Uh, because, well, it's kicking ass. I've yet to see the film, but reviews around the web praise it for its creepy atmospheric style and music. This can be good and bad for us horror fans who have yet to make it to the theater. It follows as the clear front runner so far this year for most hyped horror movie. That can lead to some unrealistic high expectations for us delusional horror fans. Right, Terry? Uh, <laughs> Has everybody got to see uh, It Follows yet? Nope. Nope. Okay. Well, has everybody seen the trailer? Yep. And yep. what, is, what nope. do you think? Uh, it looked pretty kick-ass 
from what I saw. It looks pretty good. Yeah. But trailers are deceiving, and I've... Yeah. That's true. Mike, I already know what you're getting ready to say. I already know what you're getting ready to say. You're going to say, I've heard so many damn good things about it, and I have too. (laughs) To the point where I'm getting scared. And I hope we Uh should all kind of be cautiously optimistic for us who haven't seen it yet, because the bar has been set really fucking high. (laughs) And it just fell down. (laughs) (laughs) It got so high. I don't know. I, dude, the movie, the movie wins huge points with me just based on premise alone. Like it, that's it's pretty unique. I think it does. It does. Uh, and and the, some of the reviews that I've read, and I've tried to stay away because fucking Facebook has already ruined this movie for me. So mm. I already kind of know what happens. But uh, the reviews that I've read say it borrows a lot of uh, things from other movies, which of course in horror that's expected, but. You know, hopefully it's it, it's it hasn't borrowed so much to the point where it, it leaves us, you know, feeling empty inside. Sorry to get all deep on everybody. <laughs> but yeah, it follows. Anybody? And I do have my, uh, yeah, my asshole friends on my feed that are too fucking cool to just fucking like something that everyone else likes that are already like... <laughs> talking shit about something just because it's popular and Jeez, scares man. me. Have they even seen it? That's questionable. Who knows? Yeah, that's 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 the hard thing. That's, I mean, you know, especially with this movie, it's you know, it, it wasn't going to be nationwide, uh, and then right. you know, now that now that it, ex- it has expanded, it's you know, it's I I can go see it now. It's in you know, the town next to us, so. I mean, it's it's obviously a, a big time horror movie that we should probably see, but again, you know, just because they've brought it so high with that hype, there's gonna be the there's gonna be the haters. And yeah, because it's the fucking world we live in now, and it sucks yeah. balls. It used to be, you know, so great to like get buzz on a movie and get excited and go see it, but now everybody's a motherfucking critic, and I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> And we should really the as movie we're like this. About as a movie like this, we should go. We as horror fans, we should go see it, and we should embrace it, because again, it's something fresh and new. You know, it's not another paranormal activity, or you know, you, you have those same people, Jason. They're probably that probably bitch about that constantly. It's like, oh, another possession movie, blah blah blah. But this one has a pretty unique concept, I think. It's it just sounds really really cool, but beyond that, <clears throat> this is a rare thing in in film history here where, <clears throat> where, especially in this day and age where a movie picks up more theatrical releases, like it started off just like small and to see how it would play out, and it was so successful that they've expanded it to what was it three thousand screens. <clears throat> That never happens, you know. It's it, it just in this day and age, it's like, it's like you know, make the movie and then just dump it, you know. And you know, if it has traction, then it still only lasts like a weekend or two. But this is a this is a movie that yeah, unless it's made by a major studio, building. it's it's like get it out there and be done with it. Yeah. And do as yeah. little as possible to promote it and be done. Yeah. yeah. So it's, very, it's exciting. It's an exciting thing. 
very high on the uh, box office list that are in the top ten last time I looked. It might not be by the time this episode airs, but I imagine it will still be at least in the top 20 in the box office. That's awesome. That's, mm-hmm. that's awesome. So it follows. Check it out. In other news, horror actor Tom Tolles has passed away from a stroke at the age of 65. Our listeners may recognize Tom from such films as Henry, Portrait of the Silly Killer, the 1990 remake of Night of the Living Dead, and House of a Thousand Corpses, just to name a few. Fun fact about Tolles is that he has been in every movie Rob Zombie has directed, playing authority figures. <laughs> Tom has been quoted saying, theater and film are the only things I do. I'm emotionally unsuited to regular employment. Tom's last role in 2008, his last role was in 2008 film Blood on the Highway. Guys, we just keep losing our horror family. What's going on? Mm. Sucks. Yes. <laughs> we've, we've recently, and by the, who knows, by the time this airs, there could be more people that have passed away. And, uh, and it's just not Tom. We've had others. Yes, there have been others. Uh, it really started, uh, what has it been, like almost two weeks now since we lost, no, maybe just a week, where we lost the great Robert Zadar, yep, Mr. Mr., Mr. Maniac Comp himself. So <clears throat> it all started with him. He started this death trend. Um, <laughs> and then just a couple days ago as we record this, um, we lost James Best. Oh, yeah. Which... Which, you know, why why is a horror podcast talking about James Best, Roscoe Pico train from Dukes of Hazard? Well, let's not forget, he really got his start, his beginning of his career and his end his, and the end of his career, really, with the Killer Shrews, you know? Uh, he made the original Killer Shrews back in the 50s. He was the star of that film. And and what's so great about James Best is that he, it's, he has embraced this shitty little B-movie so much that... He came back to do the sequel all these years later, Return of the Killer Shrews, which I love. <laughs> and and he just seems just just based on that, and just he just seems like a he was a really cool guy, and definitely will will missed. He's done he had he, and and later in his career too, around Return of the Killer Shrew times, um, he was really dipping his toes into the horror genre quite a bit. Uh, more on that in Insane's picks later. Um, so yeah, James Best. That really sucks. That really really sucks. Um, but then I think it was just today, or maybe it was yesterday. Um, Jeffrey Lewis passed away, uh, who you may know as um, well. He was in no. Devil's Rejects. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah. Um, for fans of this show, uh, you may remember him from Night of the Comet. Mm-hmm. Um, and dozens and do- you know, hundreds lots of, of stuff. Yeah. Lots of stuff. So yeah. So it sucks. Bummer. Really, really sad. Um, and then just to bring it up, just because I'm a huge fan and anything that's related to Weird Al uh, and uh, anybody that has influenced him is obviously somebody that I've enjoyed as well over the years. Um, so it's not horror related, but I just wanted to throw it out there that Stan Freeberg just passed away recently too. Mm. So that really sucks. So, yeah, sad times right now, man. Just keep too many good people gone. It's true. It's true. And finally tonight, the site theworldlink.com has released an article titled 
how Furious 7 killed horror movies. For those of you who don't know, The Fast and Furious 7 was released last weekend and racked up over $147 million. And it just so happens to be directed by one of my favorite directors, James Wan. Mm. The article states, The incentive for Wan staying in horror is minuscule. And Wan's ability to stay relevant over the past decade in an ever-decaying genre like horror Ooh. is remarkable. I personally don't agree with the WorldLink.com statements in the article, but horror fans do have to wonder now, will we ever see a James Wan horror film again? What do you think, Jason? Well, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you go where the money is, right? That's true. I mean, that movie, uh, I mean, Fast and 7 made a ton of money on the he's first got, He made, probably made more on that than he did every film up to this, so. It's true. It's true. I don't know, you may have a point there, but I I don't think so. I think You don't he, think or you hope? Yeah. I, well, he obviously has a love for the genre. I mean, that's, that's apparent in the films that he's done. And I would think that uh, he has enough clout that if he wants to continue going that route... He will, and his ties are not cut because um, the Insidious films are still produced. His, produced, yeah. it, 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 they're coming out of his house. Yeah, you know, so he may not be directing them, but he's still involved. And also, let's not forget, he made a movie called Death Sentence that was mm-hmm. with uh, Kevin Bacon, or, and um, that was kind of an actiony film or whatever. Um, so it's not like he hasn't strayed from the genre before. But and also keeping in mind with tonight's topic, um, you know he's not the only horror director that is that has left the genre and come back. So that's true. That's what I was just gonna say. I mean, it, it's it, you go, you make a big movie uh, like he's made, and, and and he, you know, he's gonna go, and he'll probably make a few more successful films. But he's gonna make a stinker, and when that happens, he's gonna make his triumphant return to horror. And, you know, then we're going to get our, a, a horror movie back. I mean, I, I, I kind of just explained Sam, Sam Raimi there. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of what's probably going to happen with, with James Wan. I mean, but I th- you know. But I think, I think more importantly, let's compare him to um, uh, Del Toro. Okay. There's, there's a guy who um, <clears throat> has, had, has had success kind of straying from the genre but he keeps coming back because he wants to and he has the clout to make those decisions you know it's not like now i'm not and i'm not saying people like john carpenter or george romero hate the genre but they're definitely the they're definitely come from that school of i don't want to be pigeonholed into just being the horror guy you know but they they've had what you said dustin the, the failures to what, what just brings them back and kind of shoehorns them in as the horror guys. Right. <clears throat> but where I think separates those guys from somebody like James Wan is James Wan is a fan. Exactly. And, and when you have the ability, like somebody like uh, Del Toro, to make his own decisions... <clears throat> um, I could see him going back to the genre on his own. So, well, let's hope. Let's hope. I really, I would really like to see him. You know, obviously, he's probably got dollar signs in his eyes after last weekend, and he can pretty much do whatever he wants. It'd be cool if he was like, you know what? 
fuck action movies and everything else. I'm gonna go back and make uh, an awesome, high, you know, large budget horror movie and see what happens. But ever dying genre? Yeah, I know that, that's, that's why the I part said, that pisses me off. Again, our listeners can go to theworldlink.com and you can comment and you and know poop say on it. that is a direct <laughs> quote from the website. Um, yeah, Juan's ability to stay relevant over the past decade in an ever-decaying genre like horror is remarkable. That, to me, is just – that's just shitty writing because you obviously don't watch horror movies and you obviously <laughs> – uh, I mean, <laughs> holy cow. You can watch oh, – never mind. I'm not going to get into it. But, I mean, just the fact that that's just some, some, some bad writing on their part and horror is – Decaying is the worst word to use yeah. for horror right now because it's oh, not. No, not at all. And you know what, though, honestly, uh, we as horror fans have heard that for decades, really. You yeah. know, everybody said horror was dead um, in the 90s, you know. Uh, everybody said that, you know, horror was a farce in the 80s, you know. And, you know, and then there's those people that said horror hasn't been relevant since the days of Universal. So, whatever. You know, uh, people are going to say that BS, and, it, and that's what it is. It's BS, man. It's you, You're never going to be able to kill it. Uh, I mean, I'm again, I say, uh, when's the last time has anybody been to a romantic comedy convention? You know, horror, <laughs> horror's not going anywhere. That's very true. That's very true. Okay, well, that's all I got for killer news. Yay. Yeah. That's some good killer news, sir. Thank you. All right. Anybody else have anything they want to uh, talk about before getting into uh, the topic? Uh, the topic? I was just reminiscing on how much I love Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. <laughs> oh, yeah. <clears throat> Great movie. It's hard to watch, but, Damn. you know. Yeah. Terry, have you ever seen it? No. Oh. The Rook. The Rook. I know. I was cracking up because I would just watch Mallrats the other day. <laughs> and I always forget that it's him. Like, it just, it's, it seems weird. You know they're making a sequel, right? Uh, yeah, I know they're making a sequel. I'm really excited. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be awesome. Everybody's coming back. It's from the sounds of it, yeah. For what, that's, you say? What? Mallrats 2. Mallrats 2. Oh, that's right. I did see that. Yep. As soon as he's done making his Canadian film trilogy, <laughs> he'll be jumping on Mallrats. <laughs> <clears throat> cool. All right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, Henry Porch the Serial Killer was awesome. I kind of want to also uh, in tribute to Tom rewatch the Night Living Dead remake. Yeah, so good. Yeah, very good, and he's awesome in it. It's yeah. Gary Cooper. Oh, he's yeah. a big, he's a bigger asshole than in it than the original. You, and you didn't think that was possible? No, no, the original <laughs> isn't is a big asshole. <laughs> <laughs> he's an even bigger asshole. But I, my favorite part of the remake, <laughs> as far as Harry Cooper goes, is when he's when he's carrying that TV downstairs and he's trying to be all sneaky about it, mm-hmm. and and um, and Ben wrestles him with it on the stairs. He's like, you're not taking that to the basement. And the TV drops and it breaks. And he's like, he's like, I wasn't taking it to the basement. You can't get receptionist in the basement, you dickhead. 
It's like because <laughs> it's like it's like yeah, we all hate Harry Cooper, but he's a little bit justified in that moment. He's got a, he's got a few like little moments of like where he's kind of justified in, in in his actions. People sided with him, I'm sure. <laughs> At least in that moment. Anyway, okay. So, so speaking of Wes Craven, let's uh, talk about that. Um, Okay. So what we'll do is we'll go through and we'll go through his filmography. Um, um, We there'll probably be a bunch that we skip because we haven't seen them. But I've been taking some notes and hopefully um, we can address a thing, some things here and there. Uh, but it started, well, first of all, fun fact about Old West Craven, that he started off um, as a humanitarian, or um, uh, humanities professor at Clarkson College. That's uh, That was his chosen profession there, uh, teaching at a college. And I think he just started making some, some films with the students and kind of caught the bug and just went from there. Um <clears throat> So uh, he pretty much quit teaching and just decided to become a filmmaker. And it all started in 1972 uh, where, he, where um, he teamed up with Sean Cunningham, who was looking to produce some films. Um, and they partnered up to make Last House on the Left in 1972. Yeah. Yes. Porno. Porno? <laughs> no, that comes later. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, Last House and Left. We've all seen that, right? Yes. Okay. I haven't seen the original, actually. Really? I was going to watch it. Well, I ran out of time to do all of my Wes Craven movie cramming, but um, I was a little... I didn't... That's I probably a good one to watch by yourself a Home Alone, Terry. Yeah. Uh, you know, I kind of... I mean, I've seen the remake of it, and I know that this one would probably be much more visceral and brutal, so I just didn't... I wasn't in the right mood to watch it, I guess. Never never happened. Yeah, I think um, there's definitely one that you do have to be in the right mindset. Um, yeah. To, <laughs> you mean watch. accidentally watch it, thinking it's something else? It's, definitely... <laughs> it's a good movie, though. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> that, too. I mean, it's a wholesome story, really, about two girls go in the big city and get kidnapped by three hoods and are raped and killed in the woods that ironically is like 500 feet from the home of one of the two girls, and then the three hoods take refuge in the ha- in the home of the of the uh, the dead girl's parents' house, and the the parents realize who these three a-holes are and get their own revenge. Well, now nobody has to watch that. That's good. That's good. I I didn't even say anything about the chainsaw. (laughs) Uh, Son of a... So this movie was... um, He... (laughs) Wes... Okay, Wes Craven in interviews and stuff always... he always really kind of sounds like there's there's so much there's so much something more artistic and deeper to what he's doing 
And I don't know if that's to kind of you know, cover up. It's like, dude, you're making horror movies here. You know, how deep are you trying to be? But this one is, he's always said that this was based off of, uh, it was inspired by the movie Virgin Springs by Igmar, uh, Igmar Bergman, um, which is a film from 1960. And kind of a lot of the sa- sa- uh, similar themes um, that, that do go on in it. So I do believe that it is, it is referenced. But before I was... Before I ever watched any um, Bergman films and understood those references, <clears throat> whenever Wes Craven would talk about that, I'm like, "He's Last House on the Left is based on some art, art fart film? What? But that doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> so it stars my boy David Hess. David Hess is awesome. He plays. You love the, him. I do. He plays Krug. The main bad guy of the three. And um, interesting uh, fact as well is David Hess is also a musician. Or he was a musician. He has passed on as well. Um, and he did four songs for the movie. And those songs are awesome. Is it the ones that are playing in the background when he's getting killed? <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I think, like, all the song songs are him. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, what do you think of this movie, Dustin? We already, I guess we can assume what Jason uh, feels about it. Well, since we mentioned... His reaction. Um, <clears throat> Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer, I feel like this movie is lumped in and it's into the kind of same category. I mean, you know, two completely different movies, but... You know, it's the it's the dirty gritty yeah. happening, and you just want to if you want to take a shower when you're done watching it because it's just <laughs> sweaty and yeah, gross. you just don't know how to feel after it. It's pretty it's pretty interesting. I've I've only seen it once, and uh, and it and it wasn't too long ago because I was wanting to see the remake of it, which I still haven't seen, and I don't know if I should see, but. Uh, this this the, the West. I don't know if I need to see anything more about this story. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, the last house on the left, Wes Craven's version is was enough for me. You know, you mentioned how like the movie's just just dirty, makes you feel dirty, makes you want to take a shower afterwards, and um, you know, you usually say those things in association with the content of the film. And yes, that movie's that way, but but there is kind of a grossness to this movie too, where. Where it really feels like that, you know, this was like guerrilla style filmmaking in a way to where these guys were shooting this movie in these woods and just did not shower for days because they never left set. You know, it, you just get an aroma of stench off of this movie. <laughs> yes. um, one scene in particular, it's like right after they stab the, the, the one girl against the tree and they're all standing there and they, they just got their hands covered in blood and there's blood all over the knife and 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 they're just kind of they're just kind of standing there and it's 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 such an interesting scene because there's no dialogue and it's just them just kind of looking at each other and and just kind of contemplating what has happened and what they've done and they're just picking like blades of grass out of the sticky blood off their hands and stuff like that and just taking those little moments to uh, to do that, and 
That's that's one of those moments. It's like, yeah, I would just really hate to have been on set. It just yeah. looks like it's just gross and uncomfortable. Yeah, where do they shoot this at? Because it doesn't seem like it's an, a comfortable weather. Maybe. Um, I don't know. That is the one note I didn't write down. <laughs> I'm not sure where it was filmed at, but yeah. <clears throat> well, again, like I said, it really feels like. They literally were just shooting in the backwoods, guerrilla style. Um, yeah, and and you could say that for the first for the first big chunk of uh, Craven's career, which we'll get into uh, shortly as well. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, there is a little bit of levity in the movie. It's not all just it's all just dark and graphic and disturbing, Terry. You got yeah, the, you Terry. Got, you got the sheriff and the deputy, the bumbling cops. Yes. Yeah, some good uh, comedic relief there. Where they literally play, like, you know, like Keystone Cop style music <laughs> every time they're on screen. <clears throat> Which really kind of takes you out of it a little bit. But but you can understand why it's there, you know. And it's, it's like, it's not like movies like I Spit on Your Grave or Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer or Martyrs or these like movies that are really set out to really disturb you. Those movies don't attempt to relieve that in any form. And so, you know, Craven should get a little bit of kudos for the cops as far as making them comic relief and trying to ease some of this disturbing subject matter so i think it just makes it that much more messed up mm-hmm. why because you you find yourself chuckling at these cops after yeah like watching these girls raped and murdered it's two extremes <laughs> side by side yeah that's true that's a good point um steve minor was a production assistant on this movie jason whoa yeah Friday 2 and 3, yeah. That's right. She got the makers of Fridays 1 through 3 working on this movie. Mm. Yeah. And then David Hess's character, like I said before, his name is Krug. Which is short for Kruger. Weird. (laughs) When you said it first, I'm like, what a stupid name. <laughs> it is a terrible name, but or apparently Freddy Krueger or Fred Krueger was a bully that used to pick on Wes when he was when he was younger, and so that's why he named David Hess Krug in Last House on the Left, and then just went full bore in Nightmare on Elm Street just by calling him Freddy Krueger. So I wonder if so it makes you wonder does that bully all grown up now realize that Freddy Krueger is yeah. his name is based off of his name? Probably. He's probably dead. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's usually what happens to bullies, right? Yes. Yeah. Bullies. <laughs> Just go and die. We don't have bullies listening to our show. No. So, anybody have anything else they want to add about uh, Last House on the Left? I'd like to... Uh, read ahead uh, a shout out it's not really a shout out because Jack Christensen already says something else but he added he said according to Wikipedia the cast and crew of Last House on the Left 
had all agreed to shoot it as a graphic porn film. <laughs> okay. I, so I don't know if it would have been a combination horror porno or horno, if you will. Nice, I like that. <laughs> but but it raises interesting Put a questions. On that shit. <laughs> would, would the film have had the same impact on cinema? Would the older actors who played the parents have had sex on camera? Uh, at any rate, glad this film was given to the world. Ribbit. Nice. Nice. Well, I've often heard rumor of, um, you know, Wes Craven and other filmmakers that went on to have bigger careers, like in the late 70s, working in the porn industry under, you know, fake names, um, just to, you know, pay the bills and make ends meet and really get their kind of foot in the door. I mean, that, I think that happens a lot more than any of us are aware of. Back in um, the day. Yeah. yeah, in the day. And, but I've always heard that about Wes Craven and nothing's ever really been confirmed. But, I do want to say his second movie in his filmography was in 1975 and it was a film called Fireworks Woman, which is a rated X adult film. I don't think, I was trying to do, I was trying to do way more research on this movie than I should have. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's like a straight porno. I think it's soft core. But it, yeah, it's definitely at least an X-rated, you know, like uh, softcore film. Um, and he did it under the name Abe Snake. <laughs> that was his fake name, his fake director's name when he made um, Fireworks Woman. So I don't know a lot about this movie, and we're not going to hang on it too long. But I do want to mention a few plot keywords on from the IMDb page. Priest, stranger, sailboat, peeing. <laughs> okay. Uh. <laughs> oh man, I love I love it so much that IMDb exists and like it's such a great tool and it's such a great thing. But a lot of people also just <laughs> get digging up old shit for people and it's <laughs> so funny. What's great? What I, what I tried I like to about, hide all these years and exactly you get people like um, Jim Wernowski or Fred Olin Ray who are famous for using fake names, you know, and that had you know and that that happens with a lot of people. I mean, look at Alan Smithy, that whole fake name, and like all of that in this day and age, thanks to IMDb, is pointless because it all it's all traced back now, you know. So <laughs> all those efforts to like. Hide the fact that you did fireworks, woman, is pointless. So. Love it. And the fact you used Abe's snake. I mean, that's just a badass name, right? Totally. <laughs> I know. I know, right? <laughs> I wonder where he came up with that. Just because he's a fan of Abraham Lincoln and snakes? I don't know. He had a guy that used to beat him up, and his name was Abe. <laughs> <laughs> he used to tease him with snakes. He was just, yeah, picked on so horribly when he was a child. <laughs> oh, jeez. So next up, uh, we'll breeze by this one pretty quickly. It was a made-for-TV movie in 1978 called Stranger in Our House. Um, had Linda uh, Blair in it, so what? What about The Hills Have Eyes? Uh, oh, shoot. Hold on. That's kind of a big one that you just kind of skipped over. Never but... heard of no, it. I just had them in the wrong order. I'm sorry. <laughs> the third one in his filmography was 
The hills have eyes. Yeah, Terry busting balls. In 1977. Well, you know, fuck it, you do the show. I'm out. <laughs> He's done. <laughs> I love the hills have eyes. Yep. It's it's probably I'm gonna I'm just gonna say it right here. It's my second favorite uh, Wes Craven movie. Whoa. Done. Wow. Oh. On record now, bitches. <laughs> Okay. So yeah, so Terry, since you're so smart, tell us about Hills Have Eyes. <laughs> um, bunch of mutated dudes in the middle of nowhere wreak havoc on a family. The end. Damn, you are good. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, this movie has uh. My favorite mummilf of all times, uh, <laughs> D. Wallace. Mu- what's a mummilf? What's a, a mummilf? Movie moms, I'd like to. Oh, because <laughs> D. Wallace always plays mo- moms in movies. Yeah. Mummilf. Yeah. So mummilf. So D. Wallace, she's in it. Christ. Um. <laughs> Mike, and then Michael Berryman. Yeah, Michael Berryman. I love Michael Berryman. I do love Michael Berryman. Um. Interesting thing about Michael Berryman, he's got so many. I, I forget the count. I was good. I didn't get a chance to look on his IMDb page because um, I'm pretty sure it says it there. Um, but he's got a huge number amount of birth defects. One of them, he has something called. Um, <clears throat> we're gonna try this. We're gonna do this here. You can <clears throat> say it. Hypohydroc. Ectodermal <laughs> diplastia. Mm. That's close. You said like eight words there. You paused too much. Which basically means he has a lack of sweat glands. Like the guy can't sweat. And he made wow. the hills have eyes. Poor so going thing. back to what we were talking about last house on the left, hills have eyes is the same way where they literally went to the freaking desert and made a movie. Mm-hmm. And and this poor guy who can't sweat made a movie for five months straight in a hundred yeah. degree plus temperature. How did he not die? Yeah, that he would be miserable. Like or totally yes. fine because everyone else is sweating. He's like, what? Well, the reason. Okay, whatever. Well, I mean, <laughs> but if you don't have sweat glands, then you can't cool down. Like, that's yeah. your body's way of cooling down. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. See? So. See? Terry's She's super so smart. smart. <laughs> <laughs> Probably just adds to the performance. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. One of the things I, I love about this movie, and, and also, if you think about it, it's very similar to Last House on the Left and Nightmare on Elm Street, is how, like, you have your protagonists... And, and their character journey through the whole movie is to really um, their own their own breakdown of of um, normalcy and crossing that line of of uh, um, being a civilized human being to a cold blood cold blooded killer and getting revenge on these bad people. Okay, and 
And I love how it all goes, like, in all three of those movies, the third act turns into, like, freaking MacGyver episodes where they're they're putting together all these, like, booby traps. I love the booby, the, 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 the booby trap thing that Montage, Wes Craven does yeah. in these uh-huh. movies. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> you know, um, all three of those movies uh, do that. And I really I love how all that plays out. Uh, last House on the Left, Dustin. Or not Last House on the Left. Hills Have Eyes, Dustin. I've never seen The Hills Have Eyes, the original. I've only seen the remake. I'm really sorry. And the remake, the remake's really good, too, though. I really like the remake a lot. Yeah. yeah. One of the first yeah. remakes that made me like remakes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was really that kind of turning point of like, you know what? I just need to get over myself and this whole remake thing. Because that good. Pretty... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and Terry, you've seen it, right? The original? I have. It's It's been a minute, but mm. it's good. I mean, Michael Berryman is, is definitely the thing that sticks out in your head. He's just so... has such an iconic look to him, you know? Yeah. It's good oh, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and and Jason, what are your thoughts on the hills have eyes? Um, it's good. I haven't been to the desert since. <laughs> <laughs> hills have eyes does for the desert what Jaws did for the water. Exactly. Yeah. All right, cool. Hills have eyes, and then Terry in 1978, <laughs> he made a TV movie called Stranger in Our House which had Linda Blair in it. Interesting thing about this film that I've never seen before. Uh, it ran on both NBC and CBS and was so popular. And this, I think this must have happened a lot in the 60s and late 60s and, and 70s um, and probably early 80s of these made-for-TV movies. Well, first of all, they were making like straight legitimate horror, horror movies made-for-TV back in the day that you know, it's awesome. But they end up being so successful. Like, this one was so successful that it got re-released in theaters in Europe under the title Summer of Fear. Duel was the same way. Um, Steven Spielberg's first movie, Duel, was a made-for-TV movie. And it was so successful that it got a it got a European theatrical release. Oh, that's I think that's interesting. You, you know, definitely don't see that nowadays. But <laughs> no, 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 you don't. But uh, and then with Duel, what, my favorite scene in Duel is um, when he's he's uh, he's kind of parked in front of the railroad tracks as a train's going by, and that semi comes up from behind him and starts pushing him towards the train. <clears throat> I think that a freaking awesome scene. But the interesting thing about that scene is. Since it was originally a made-for-TV movie, it was uh, too short for the theatrical run that they wanted. So they went back and shot that scene specifically for the theatrical run. So that wasn't even in the original original script. And it's, like, I think the best scene in the movie. So there you go. But that, we're not talking about Steven Spielberg. We're talking about Wes Craven <laughs> and Stranger in Our House. And I don't have anything else to say about it. Anybody seen it? Nope. 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 Good. Next. Uh, from there, 
after Stranger in the House was Deadly Blessing in 1981. Now, please tell me somebody's seen this one, because I haven't. Oh, then I'm not going to say yes. <laughs> I felt like I have, but man, I don't remember it at all. It's the it's the Amish horror movie? Yeah. What? Okay. Yeah, it takes place in an Amish community. Where they're like an Amish community of like satanic cult worshippers or some shit like that. Uh. I don't know. I don't know. This is one of those movies that like the more I hear about the movie, the less interested I am in it. Mm. I, I like the description of it on IMDb. Yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> what's, it say? what's it say? This film is set in the Amish country at a local farm where a woman's husband is mysteriously killed by his own tractor! Exclamation <laughs> point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you yelling at me, IMDb? <laughs> I kind of want to watch it now. <laughs> Yeah, at least for that scene, right? Yeah, right? And Ernest Borgnine, I see, is in it. What? Ernest Borgnine's in it. That's right. That's right. That's awesome. And Sharon Stone? It is Sharon Stone's first speaking role <laughs> in a film. Nice. Oh, boy. <laughs> to, pre- to prepare for this episode, I have, um, there was like, I think, I think it was Bravo, maybe? Uh, back in the day, produced a, uh, a series of shows called The Directors. And there w- it was a show that uh, highlighted one director per episode and had all these interviews with it. And literally did what we're doing right now. We're um, going through the whole filmography <clears throat> of that director. And so I have the Wes Craven one on DVD. And so I was watching it last night and preparing for this episode. And he told a story about um, Sharon Stone. And how, like, uh, Sharon Stone, there's a scene where she had to have a tarantula crawling around on her chest. And and she was freaking out and didn't want to do it. And Wes Craven, claiming to also be extremely terrified of spiders, said to Sharon, it's like, well, if I, if I put it on me um, and I'm okay, will you put it on you? And she's like, yeah. So he, he put it on himself and it crawled around a bit and whatever, and, and it was fine. And so... And so Sharon's like, well, what about, what about the fangs? And the guy, and the I think the animal wrangler or Wes or somebody told her like, it's not gonna bite you. You would have to literally be pushing down on its back for it to want to bite you. And, and she's like, well, can't you just clip the fangs? And they're like, well, we could <laughs> clip the fangs, but the tarantula would starve to death if we clipped its fangs. And it would just, it would die the slow, painful death. And Sharon Stone's like, clip him. Oh. So, Sharon Stone, animal hater. Gosh. Did they clip him? <laughs> they must have, because she did the scene. Oh, God. So, it's in the movie of, of this tarantula crawling around on her chest. There's a scene in this movie. I've, I've not seen the movie, but I've, I've seen enough scenes and and reviews on this movie that like I, I could probably get by without without watching it but uh there's a scene as I go through puberty a scene <laughs> in this movie that you swear is straight out of Nightmare on Elm Street cuz it's Sharon Stone is in this bathtub 
and the snake crawls into the bathtub with her, and it is like shot for shot for that that Nancy scene in the bathtub with Freddy Krueger's glove popping up between her legs. Uh, we. I mean, I, I, mean I guess you don't have a lot of angles choices when you're filming in a bathtub, but it it just looks just like that one, only it replace glove with said snake. Does the snake take her down into the drain? No, it doesn't. Doesn't do that. Totally so different. Then. <laughs> yeah, completely different. <laughs> and also in Deadly Blessings, uh, Michael Berryman is in it as well. Mm. So nice. Michael uh, Wes Craven bringing back some of his uh, old school buddies. So uh, let's see. So nobody's seen Deadly Blessing. We'll move on. Uh, to 1982 and a little movie called Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing. That's how they say it. You make my heart sing. I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> you make everything. Swampy. Swampy. Yep. <laughs> Too predictable. <laughs> okay. Who's seen Swamp Thing? Raise your hands. Mm. I can't see your hands. Uh, we've seen Swamp Thing. Me, me. Terry, Dustin? That means no. no. I've only seen the uh, TV show. Cool. And the TV show, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, I liked it. Um, but um, the original movie, it's got. It's also has a great cast. It's got Ray Weiss in it. Mm. Nice. Yeah. It's got uh, Adrian Barbeau in it. Yeah. Mike loves. I do love Adrian Barbeau. She's also a mama elf. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm trying to think if she's ever played moms. Oh. I can't think of anything she's, she's played milf. a mom in. She's, yeah. She's probably a, a bum elf because she usually plays bitches in her movies. Uh-huh. <laughs> or, or a grilf. <laughs> What's a, a grilf? No, sir. She's not that old. She might be. Well, now. <laughs> what? what are we talking about here? Uh, wait. wait. Uh. I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that meant grandma. It does. Okay, cool. But why is there? Oh, G- grandma G R. Why is died they on the art so they didn't have to say gilf? I don't get it. Maybe Smart lady's getting technical. Yeah. <laughs> Just a joke, Terry. <laughs> it's not a real word. Everybody knows. So Swamp Thing, it's based off of a DC, DC compo character. Um, the script is kind of a, a collage of story points from the comic. Um, I wouldn't say they necessarily stray from the comic book, but they just kind of take several different stories and kind of smash them together. So you kind of lose some things like the, um, one of the, probably one of the biggest parts of what the Swamp Thing, the comic book character is his love relationship with um, uh, Dr. Arcane's uh, daughter throughout the series. And you don't have that character literally at all in, in, this, uh, in this movie. Um, but it was a movie that they really shot it in like swamplands again in horrible conditions, which was a really dumb move because 
there was <clears throat> things that I read about how like the costume, the 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 Swamp Thing outfit <laughs> was constantly falling apart under those conditions. And they were having to glue it back together between takes and uh, just sound just sound sounded pretty miserable. Um, what are your what's your memories on Swamp Thing there, Jason? Um, I remember liking the movie a lot. I really liked the uh, makeup. I liked Swamp Thing. It's like the best he's ever looked. Um, Do you prefer the Wes Craven Swamp Thing creature or the Return to Swamp Thing? Oh, he's creature. pretty cool too. I I just think the one in Return um, had more detail on it. I love how it had a lot more um, vines and moss yeah. kind of worked into the body. So, <clears throat> and I, th- I think it matched the the comic book a little bit better uh, as well as far as the look goes. But and also, what's cool is um, Dick um, Dick Durock, um, who plays the Swamp Thing in the original movie. He's like the only actor who has played every live action version of Swamp Thing. He played him in the original movie. He played him in Return to the Swamp Thing, which was directed by Jim Wynarski. And then, oddly enough, because of that movie, they did that TV series on USA, and he played Swamp Thing in that. So, that's kind of cool. That's cool, yeah. Yeah. That's what I watched a lot of, was the the TV show. So, that's interesting that he played, played that. So, was there anything else you wanted to say about Swamp Thing, Jason? Kind of jumped in there. Oh, no, I, I remember liking it. I remember I, I got to see it in the movie theater when it came out. Nice. Yeah. And they were kind of, like, in towards the end when Dr. Arcane takes the formula and he turns into that half-man, half-pig monster at the end. Uh-huh. And I remember it being, like, the coolest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> slash freaking the hell out of me you know, creeping creeping me the f out you know because uh, that's You're a, still pretty t- young oh yeah what was that what did i say 82 oh, yeah. so yeah i was 10. 10 yeah so it was pretty freaky as, as a 10 year old it's pretty freaky and then that one guy who turned into a, like a midget pig pig monster remember that guy the the henchman yeah and he took the form and, and that really freaked me out because he like shrunk some reason that really freaked me out because he was little. So is this um, movie one of the reasons you were a skittish kid? Or I don't know. Before? Uh, it was probably. Uh, it was definitely. I haven't before. narrowed it down. Actually, the more I think about it, it was definitely before. But uh, because I still, I still really liked it, and but you know, some of those scenes. And then when you watch it now, and you get to that final fight between um, Doctor Arcane, the pig boar monster. Versus Swamp Thing, that pig boar monster outfit is just horrible, because it, it's just a mask, really. It's like it's like a boar paper mache head, because there's no articulation in the face of that mask whatsoever, nothing. So, <clears throat> but yeah, it's still good. I still think it's a great movie. It. Uh, Definitely did not help Wes Craven's career by any by any means. Did not do well for him. But, 
All right, moving on from Swamp Thing, uh, 1984, a movie called Imitation to Hell. Hadn't seen it. Um, then in 19, also in 1984. Um, wait a minute, let me look at something. Okay. Also in 1984 was the release, even though it was shot before and was shelved for a while. Um, but the sequel to Hills Have Eyes to, um, called The Hills Have Eyes 2. The Electric and, Boogaloo, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anybody seen that? No. No, I don't think... I think it's on Netflix, actually, at the moment. But I oh, didn't, I think get, you're didn't right. get to it. Is well, it better than The Hills Have Eyes Part 2, the remake? I didn't mind... Am I the only one that didn't mind the, the remake sequel? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the only one. Uh-huh. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't know if I've seen the second remake. I haven't. Bad. <laughs> Apparently, it makes you sound like a sheep. Apparently. Yeah. No, I honestly though, Dustin, it's worse than that movie. Because <laughs> because it it pulls a Silent Night Deadly Night Part Two on you. Oh where no! A good chunk of the movie is nothing but <laughs> shots oh, from the no. first movie. Yes. Yes. It was another movie that basically he didn't want. Wes Craven didn't want to do it. He just did it for the paycheck. It was plagued with tons of production problems and and nosy producers and basically uh he shot so much so uh he, he shot a bunch of footage got to a certain point and you know basically that's all she wrote but it wasn't done so they urged him to just splice in scenes from the original movie instead of shooting more and finishing mm-hmm. the film sad yep and Wes West has plenty to sound the movie since then as well. So, yeah. Also in 1984, it sounds like 1984 was a really busy year for Wes, but I <laughs> want to also reiterate that Hills of Ice Part 2 was shelved for like, you know, six months to a year and only got a release because of the success of the next movie on his list, and that is the one that, uh, that really um, made and saved his career. And Nightmare on Elm Street. Woo! Nightmare on Elm Street. And, and saved a company. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you want to elaborate on that? Well, wasn't it, uh, I mean, New Line, New Line Cinema, wasn't yeah. it that this was kind of like their last-ditch effort um, for releasing a movie, and if this wouldn't have been the blockbuster that it was, we wouldn't have, you know... We wouldn't have the new line cinema that we we know today. Yeah, I don't know yeah. the the specifics of it, but I know that's pretty much how it was going to be. Well, I heard they were just about ready to file for bankruptcy mm-hmm. until this movie came along. And what's interesting is that Wes Craven wrote originally wrote this movie in back in 1981, and like shopped it around for like two or three years, and no one wanted it. No one people people were telling him it wasn't scary. Um, uh, and, you know, it was unmakeable, all this, that, and the other thing. And Robert Shea took a chance on, on it, and boy, did it pay off. And I bet there's a lot of execs out there that lost their jobs for turning that script down. <laughs> yeah. No definitely. doubt. 
Yeah. What's what do we got to say about Nightmare on Elm Street, guys? I don't know. What have, what have we not said about Nightmare on Elm Street? <laughs> Did you guys know it's got Johnny Depp in it? Wait, what? Oh my god! His first speaking role. <laughs> I'm gonna say that with everybody now. First speaking role. <laughs> well, the only reason Let's why breaks them all. The only reason why I say that about Sharon Stone is apparently she appeared in a Woody Allen movie, and that's how she was discovered for um, Deadly Blessings. But it was like a non-speaking role. She didn't have any lines in it. So, that's why I say it's, it was her first speaking role. <laughs> now, this movie is fantastic. I actually just rewatched it again about a week ago. Um, it's just, it's timeless. I, I love it. Mm-hmm. I think um, that a lot of the um, dream sequences, and they're just, they just hold up so well. Like the the body bag, God, that gets me every oh, time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The fucking school hallway. Mm-hmm. Oh man, it's so good. And it Next. gave us all of the other Freddy films. Oh yeah. So you know, awesome. Most right. That's right. But the, yeah, the movie still holds up, and it's still, I, it's still, it's, I think it's still terrifying today, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right about the body bag thing, you know, or or the the cool shot of like Freddy stretching out of the wall above Nancy's bed. Yeah, or mm-hmm. the whole scene with the first the first kill. I can't remember the Tina. girl's name. Tina. Yes, yeah. that whole scene that they kind of that Craven kind of mimics later on in New Nightmare with the with her all up on the ceiling and the turning room and whatnot. It's mm. scary. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's fucking scary, Mike. Could be being yeah, patronizing. It is. it is. I'm not being patronizing. <laughs> Here's yeah. an interesting fun fact that I, I found. Um, Jackie Earl Haley was a friend of Johnny Depp's at the time, and Jackie Earl Haley was auditioning for uh, the part that Johnny Depp eventually got. Um, Johnny Depp went to the audition with Jackie just as a friend, just hanging out, you know? And then uh, Johnny Depp, um, or Wes Craven, saw Johnny Depp and picked him. I just thought that was interesting, because Jackie ended up playing Freddy in the remake. That he did. Yeah. Poor guy. You said his name, and I'm like, wait, who's that? Oh, Rorschach, okay. Yeah, Yeah. you said the other episode, that's what you call him. Yeah, Yeah, well, I wrote it down this time. (laughs) And you you notice I do a slight pause every time I say Jackie Earl Haley, because I have (laughs) to look at the page and make sure I say say it right. Rorschach. (laughs) Well, and not say, like, Earl Haley Jackie or something, because that would be what I would do. Well, also one of the things I love about Wes Craven when you when you read articles about him or interviews with him, um, whatever, he loves sharing his influences. What what influenced him on this? I've heard time and time again on the story about <clears throat> how he read 
newspaper article about a guy who um, um, was terrified to go to sleep. He had such scary dreams that he thought he was going to be killed by his dreams. And he would constantly stay awake, you know, kept a coffee pot by his bed and everything. And his family didn't know what to do for him. This guy just would not go to sleep. So they finally, you know, they, they, they were trying to give him sleeping pills, but he would fake, fake take them. He'd, like, spit them out, and he finally, one night, falls asleep, and they're like, oh, thank goodness, and they take him up, and they put him in his bed, and and they all go back downstairs, and then moments later, they hear this, like, blood-curdling scream coming from the room. They go upstairs, and the guy's dead in his bed. He died in his sleep. And so that's what really captured Wes's imagination, and he ran with it with... uh, with the script and the other influences too, you know, we already mentioned that he had a bully growing up by the name of Fred Krueger, um, but the look of Freddy Krueger was based on this like bum, like uh, young Wes Craven looking out of his uh, out of his window of his home to find a bum standing there staring in at Wes Craven, wearing the the fedora hat and the the striped sweater. Yikes. Yeah, so... <clears throat> that would definitely... That would definitely be something that, if I experienced, I would definitely want to put in a horror movie at some point. Yeah. A creepy image that would never escape your brain. <clears throat> so, yeah. Um, there's the revolving bedroom. You know, when uh, Tina is getting thrashed around the ceiling and stuff. Um, that room, actually, they built that room to revolve around. So, like, the room and the camera is pivoting together to where it looks like it looks like the room's not moving. She is, but it's actually the mo- the room that's moving. And they use that they use that same room <clears throat> when they shot the blood shooting up from the bed when um, Johnny Depp gets killed. Spoiler mm-hmm. alert. But the most interesting fact is they use that same revolving room in um, Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> hmm. So there you go. All right. So moving on. Um, what's anybody else? Anything they want to add to Nightmare on Elm Street? Cool. Uh, uh, 1985, he did a TV movie called Chiller. Uh, did did a bunch of different uh, TV stuff. I'm assuming, you know, um, cashing some paychecks. You know, he did an episode of Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color, an episode <laughs> called Case Busters. Uh, he did like five episodes of The Twilight Zone. And then finally came back and did a feature film called Deadly Friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What uh-huh. do you guys have to say about Deadly Friend? It's awesome. <laughs> I uh, I just watched this the other night in preparation for this episode. Uh, it's just, it's so cheesy. Like, 
and I I had to I even fell asleep during part of it. I it was trying to it was just a late night watch. I was like, oh, I'll just turn this on in the background. I don't know what this is about. Um, some of the acting isn't so great, but uh, man, Christy, Christy, yeah, Christy Swanson, mm-hmm. young a uh, young Buffy before Buffy, um, she. <laughs> Uh, I guess I should give a synopsis, since Mike didn't ask for that. Um, basically there's this, um, prodigy kid who has a robot named BB. (laughs) And they say it all robot, BB, you know, sounds like Roadrunner or something. Well, that's Um, how robots sounded in the 80s. Yeah, that's that's the best they could do. Um, but he moves... (laughs) He moves to this new town, and he makes friends with this girl named Samantha. Well, they call her Sam most of the time. Um, and that's Christy Swanson. And she has a really abusive father. And at one point, they get into an argument, her and her father, and he pushes her down the stairs, and she dies. It's like, what the fuck is happening? Um, this is brutal. Um... But then her friend, Paul, I don't even know if I said his name first. That's the new kid with the robot. Um, BB. BB. Uh, he just can't deal with, with Sam dying. He's having some problems dealing with that. He needs a shrink or something. But instead, he's going to put a chip in her brain and turn her oh. into BB. Because, oh, I guess BB gets shot, too. I guess that was important. I'm skipping all over the place now. BB alive. <laughs> so he's both reincarnating. Yeah, he's bringing back Sam and BB in one in one swoop here. Sticks a chip in her brain and it somehow revives her entire body, and she's uh, functioning. It's a brain Terry. It controls everything. It is. I mean, but you really. I was easily able to suspend my disbelief and just enjoy this movie because Christy Swanson as a human robot is so bad but so good (laughs) and she's just eh, oh my god and she just starts going ape shit on people like she goes and spoiler alert she murders her father and then she murders this annoying neighbor who killed BB with a shotgun and then, oh gosh, she's just on a killing spree. But, she, and she's just, her robot makeup is just her with a bunch <laughs> of a blue eyeshadow all around her eyes to make her look slightly zombified slash robotic, I guess. <laughs> I don't know, but I loved it. It was so much fun. And she holds her fingers like she's always doing um, the Vulcan uh, handshake or whatever hand signal. Live long and prosper. Yes, the live long and prosper. Whatever, I guess. That's how you know she's a robot. It is <laughs> like she just functions with her hands like claws all the time, and just oh god, it's pretty awesome. It sounds more like a sci-fi-ish. Yeah. It is. Um, it's definitely, I'd say, more sci-fi for the most part. Um, but, you know, 
Oh my god, there's some pretty good gore, though. The scene um, where she goes to kill this cranky old lady neighbor who killed BB with a shotgun. The whole reason BB gets killed is because the kids accidentally threw their basketball into her yard. <laughs> that scene, this scene's fucked me up as a kid. <laughs> well, so when she goes and breaks into her house, the ba- the basketball that landed in her yard just kind of rolls into her house. Like, that's the suspense. Like, oh, who's in my house? Who's this basketball belong to? And then all of a sudden... Uh, Sam picks up the basketball and of course because the robotic chip has just made her like ten times stronger than any human being miraculously Uh she can just she throws the basketball at the neighbor right at her head and it just explodes everywhere (laughs) and it's awesome (laughs) but yeah. I'm looking at the cast list and I see Anne Ramsey in it. Does she happen to be the neighbor? Um, is that throw, the one Throw from, Mama from the Train? Yes, her. Yep. Yes. She is the neighbor who gets her head Her blown head up gets the- blowed up. <laughs> oh man. It is awesome. Uh she's so good in movies. She is. She's the Goonies. Fucking yeah. uh kindergarten cop. <laughs> she's she's awesome. She's in but, Kindergarten Cop? Yeah, she's the the crazy... Emperor, she's the mom of the... Oh, I don't even know. She's the mom of the demented dude who's trying to kidnap his kid. Like, she's the grandma. No, you're wrong. Am I wrong? Yeah. Who's, it's, um... Right, no, I am wrong. You're right. I can see her face in my head now. Anyway, Anne Ramsey's badass. She is. She's got a very memorable face. Oh, yeah, she's haggard. Yeah. <laughs> she's hard as fuck. <laughs> Died in 1988. Oh, wow. But it, yeah, it, it was just, it's a lot of fun. I wouldn't take it too seriously at all. The main the main kid who plays Paul is not a very good actor at all. Like he's the worst part of the whole movie. You just gotta hold out for the parts with Christy Swanson as a robot. <laughs> <laughs> Fun stuff. Jason, have you seen it? Yeah, it's been a long time. Like I said, that fucking basketball scene used to give me nightmares. Slash, I can't, I can't decide if like it and scanners made me just walk around the playground wishing I could just throw a basketball into people's heads that were picking <laughs> on me on those bullies, you know? Yeah. Just to see their fucking head explode. Can't remember if I did that. Something like that. Hopefully not. I didn't do it. And then there's one time, fucking, <coughs> I was, believe it or not, I was bullied a lot. And uh, one time, some fucking asshole kid threw a basketball and hit me right in the face. And I'm like, just for that split second, besides, ouch, I was like, oh no, no, my head's going to explode. Uh, <laughs> and it didn't, but it felt like it did. Because yeah. it was right in the face, and he threw an overhand basketball into my face. It sucked. Did you pound him into next week? 
Nope. I cried and uh. went inside uh. and told the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great memories, Terry. Thanks a lot for bringing that up. <laughs> and that bully's name was Fred Krueger. That's true. Fred. Oh, wrapped it around. Fred Krueger. Deadly friend, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Movie's kind of a mess. Is it? A no. fun mess. I love it. <laughs> cool. Uh, then we move on to 1988 and Serpent in the Rainbow. Woohoo! <laughs> I just watched this one too. First time? Yep. Sweet, tell us about it. I just <laughs> talked about the other one. You tell us about it. Yeah, Mike. Okay, uh, Dustin, tell us about Serpent in the Rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> this movie's awful. It is boring as hell. I can't stand it. Bill Pullman is like the worst thing ever in this movie. <laughs> And I'm not being sarcastic. Like, I hate this movie. Huh. I do not like it at all. At all. You I'm know. sorry, folks. Hey, <clears throat> I, I'm i going to... I won't... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I went into this movie thinking, okay, I've, I think it maybe got hyped a little bit. Not, like, a ton. Like, everyone's like, oh, my God, it's the best movie ever or anything, but... I'd only really heard good things about it. I didn't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. um, but I I wasn't a huge fan either. Like, there were moments, um, like, you can tell that Wes Craven really loves movies with crazy dream sequences. The fucking steak? I that, mean... That's the shit that fucked me up with this movie. The steak? Oh. Through the thing and the, that must be later. Not a dream sequence. Oh. Are you so talking about the the? Wait, while he's sitting in a chair. Oh oh oh! oh. See, that's what guys Nailed remember. The giant nail through his yeah. balls. Yeah. Yeah, that was a little harsh. I remember that. I thought that one of the best scenes was it was a dream sequence where he was in a coffin and he was it was being filled up with blood. Oh. Like that oh, scene yeah. was pretty awesome. Like I'm with you there. It's probably my favorite scene. But I don't. Half the time I didn't know what the fuck was going on. Like I was like, I right? just I was so yeah. confused half the time. And I know that some of it was supposed to be dreams, but you know they didn't. He didn't differentiate well enough for me to understand. And then sometimes. I guess it was just black magic shit happening, and I was just supposed to go with it. And that's just... <laughs> I just... I don't know. I didn't know what was going on most of the time in this movie. Basically. And I didn't like it because of that. That's huh. fair. I definitely think I side with Dustin. It's it's definitely... Huh. It's not a very exciting movie. Hey, it doesn't I, keep my attention. I remember liking this movie. I mean, but but like I think it's just because it's been a million years. I saw it when I was young, and it sounds and it feels like it definitely doesn't hold up. <laughs> so I'm probably <laughs> not going to rewatch it and just let it live. Is like I remember kind of liking it. Mm. Does oh, it sound like thing. it's only only going to get worse? 
if I watch it again. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I love Bill Pullman, and I mm-hmm. think that they're, I mean. Yeah, so do I. Like, I didn't think he was completely awful. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, it's based, this is all based on a true story. Like, it's based on a nonfiction book. Which I will not be doing a wicked verse <laughs> with wear tear for, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Like, ugh. it just seemed to drag on forever and ever. And like I like, there were really, like, there were some really cool visual scenes, like with the dreams and stuff. And I think that they could have had more fun with it if they didn't try to stick. I don't know how closely they stuck to the story, but it kind of seems like they went for a more non-fiction-y vibe than, I don't know. Eh. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's too bad because there's elements of this movie that I think are extremely, <coughs> extremely creepy. Like, things things that he does in this, that he uh, does in this movie that uh, I think rank right up there with the, the scary elements of Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, you know, if you look at the Wes Craven body of work, you know, uh, to me, you know, like those are probably the two films that really have creepy, terrifying moments compared to the rest of the filmography. But the problem also, you know, and I think for me, because like one of the uh, one of the biggest, scariest things you can put in a movie is being buried alive. So. You know, anything dealing with that, forget about it. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, the movie <laughs> as a whole is rather boring. So, yeah, it's too bad. Then, <laughs> getting close to the end of the 80s, 1989, and Jason's favorite on the Wes Craven filmography... Shocker! Woo! <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know if it's your favorite, but I know you do really like this one. I do. Talked about it last episode. Yeah, so yeah. we can move on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, Dustin hadn't had a chance to talk about it. What are your thoughts on Shocker, Dustin? Uh, you know, I think I've only ever seen it on TV, and I don't really remember a lot of it, other than at the end when they're running through TV channels, and it was kind of funny. And uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't think I can remember enough of it to really give my opinion on it. I really need to revisit it because I hear good things. I can't remember. Did you say you've seen it, Terry? I have it, and I'm so bummed because you didn't get I it. I have it. I like. I have it ready to watch, and I just didn't have mm. quite enough time to get it in. So, okay. bummer. Yeah, <laughs> bummer. My horse Pinkert is awesome. I think, you know, it's a bummer this movie wasn't more successful. You could have been easily a franchisable character. Might not hold up as well. Yeah, I don't think it does, really. But here's an interesting thing. Um, Again, I was watching that director's DVD last night, and Wes Craven talks about how, like, this is the first movie where he really starts dipping his toes in the whole meta thing, and the whole reality versus fiction and um and that whole thing so like you can almost call like this part one of the meta trilogy where 
it kind of starts with Shocker, you know, jumping in and out of television programs and all that, all that stuff in and out of, of reality and, and the awareness of the reality versus the fiction and all that. Then that goes deeper into New Nightmare and then goes full bore when you get to Scream. So I thought that was interesting that he was making those comparisons, um, shocker to the, to those other films in that regard of dealing with those themes. Yep. <clears throat> okay. So now we're into the 90s. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Made a TV movie called Night Visions. Don't know it. Uh, in 1991, did People Under the Stairs. Uh, I finally watched this one. Yay! I was hoping, I was on the edge of my seat hoping you were going to say that. <laughs> All right, Didn't we do a commentary it. on this? We did, but Terry wasn't on that. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. All right. It wasn't a commentary. Yeah. <laughs> oh, snap. <laughs> Oh, um, <laughs> I laughed way too hard at that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was awesome. I really enjoyed it. I, I, I watched it this morning. Like, I probably wasn't awake enough to watch it, but I wanted to get another one in before tonight. Um, it was a lot of fun. I guess I wasn't anticipating it being kind of as quirky as it was. I didn't I didn't realize that it would be like that. And it has oh it um the uh, sister slash mom whatever um she, I'm pretty sure it's the chick from uh, Twin Peaks like she's one of the chicks in Twin Peaks I need I didn't look this up earlier I'm checking now but I I don't know like it oh she totally is she's the chick with the eye patch in Twin Peaks. I knew oh, it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just such a weird movie, but I, I really enjoyed it. Like, that has some good rewatching material. Um, Ving Rames is really fun at the beginning. I love the kid, yeah. whatever that kid's name was. I don't know. <laughs> Fool. 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 Right, but I don't. I meant the actor. <laughs> yeah, I know. Brandon Adams? Um, he was really, he was a lot of fun. Uh, I don't, it's just such a weird, weird movie. Weird weird family. And when we did the commentary on it, it just, realizing how much this is kind of more of a comedy. It really really is. A lot more comedy. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I was sitting here giggling, uh... I love the uh, uh, Roach. Is that his name? Roach? Um, the funny kid in the walls that comes out. Oh, yeah. Out him. Yeah. Uh, he's a lot of fun. His weird noises that he makes because his tongue is cut out. <laughs> it's just it's just ridiculousness. And the... I don't even know what... The, the man, I guess... They don't. I guess they don't really have names. I mean, I guess he no, gets called yeah. Big Big Daddy or something all the time, which is a little creepy. But he was a lot of fun. What else has that guy, Everett McGill? He was on Twin Peaks too. Silver Bullet. Oh, interesting. Oh yeah, Silver Bullet. 
Oh, they were they were a couple on Twin Peaks. No fucking wonder something was bothering me while I was watching this. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're totally a thing on Twin Peaks. That's awesome. But anyway, <laughs> uh, that is awesome. It was yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Okay, ready for my Ving Rhames impression? <laughs> yes. Okay. This is right at the be- this is right at the beginning when he's trying to break the house and he's got that crowbar, and he sn- and he snaps all the doors open. He's like, "I just broke this house's cherry." <laughs> <laughs> that is a line in this movie. That thing rings. It says. is. It is. <laughs> The interesting parallel that I make to this movie goes back to Hills Have Eyes and how both these movies are about, like, upper class versus lower class, but this is the flip side where, like, the civilized upper class um, were being stalked and killed by the, the feral lower class in Hills Have Eyes. And it's flipped on this one where it's the lower class of the protagonists and the upper class of the crazy, incestuous, you know, zipper mask yeah. wearer. Yeah, that's, that's very goes. true. Yeah. So you can see that throughout his entire career, always kind of jumping back to a lot of the same similar themes. Which is cool because, you know, it kind of shows, you know, his style and like... And 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 where his mind is, and the, and the things, the things, the stories he likes to tell. <clears throat> Anything else about going to the stairs? It's a little long. I mean, it could have uh, seven endings. Yeah. 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 No kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Terry totally needs forgotten. to watch it with our commentary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, just, I totally forgot. Like the movie wraps, he gets out. <laughs> And everything, and then he goes back. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? And there's another 20 minutes. Yeah, yep. He's got to save Alice. Well, yeah, but like, it's like a fifth act. Yeah, it, yeah, it really was. Like I was thinking, the movie was over at that point as well. But you know, it didn't. It didn't seem like it dragged on for me. But I can see where you're coming from with that. Like it could have ended at several different points for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, alright, so moving on, he did an episode in 1992 of a show called Nightmare Cafe, uh, episode called Aliens Ate My Lunch. Yes, I remember <laughs> Nightmare Cafe. I remember watching really? all I the don't. time. What, what the heck was Nightmare Cafe? I know that uh, Robert England uh, set up each episode kind of like um, Rod Serling type, and it was these two people that were trapped in a Nightmare <laughs> Cafe. Um, but I, that's all, that's all I can really remember. Like, I mean, was he himself a la Rod Serling or was he a character that was, no, no, he just kind of like narrated what was happening. He never was like part of the story or was a character. He was just, it was just, uh, like, like, you know, separate from the story. Okay. Yeah. I honestly don't remember this thing at all. I mean, obviously I never watched it, but. Even still, stuff I've never seen before, I've at least heard of, and I don't. Not familiar with it. I'm assuming it was not very long. 
No, I don't think it. I don't think it was. That's what I was looking to see. It says maybe six episodes. So maybe yeah, just one season. Oh, crap! Really? Yeah. Only six episodes. Okay. Yeah, I remember okay. watching a lot of it. It looks like uh, the two people that are in the Nightmare Cafe had died, and that they were back. They were brought to the back to life in the cafe to write what was once wrong. I made that last part up, but no, that's what they were really going to do. No, the last part is from Quantum Leap. I just incorporated Quantum it into Leap. this. So. Uh-huh. Scott Bakula. Yeah, that that show that show ruined him as an actor for me because I, I I can't watch I can't watch him in anything without thinking, okay, he's just going to jump into another body at the end of the episode. Oh, well, that's fair. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So now we get into, man, as far as theatrical films go, he had a dry spell there for about five years when he yeah. comes back to New Line to do Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Boom. Woo! Boom. Love it. Yes. Very, very awesome film. Very awesome flick. So good. Starring Wes Craven himself. Yep. He's in it. Robert Shea is in it as himself. Mm-hmm. Robert England is in it as himself. And as Freddy Krueger. And as this dream demon creature guy. That yeah. looks like Freddy Krueger. <laughs> love uh, it. Yeah, love it. I, I, I like, too, how he, he's, you know, because I think, I'm, I think I've, we probably talked about this before, or... When you get to the third act, it kind of starts. It starts following some of the similar beats as as the first Nightmare on Elm Street, uh-huh. and where you know you may say like, okay, that's just ripping off what they've done before already, whatever. But it makes sense in this because it's all it's all part of the storyline of this film. So uh-huh. it, it makes sense that she's going into this dream world that's taken her back to basically following the same steps she did in Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, I just, I, I, one of my favorite moments there in the, in the third act is when she, when, when she is talking to John Saxon and, and it almost seems like everything's kind of like a normal conversation between actor John Saxon and actress Heather Lennenkamp. But then, but then like John Saxon starts talking about Nancy, you know, and, I don't want you leaving this house and just like dialogue literally uh-huh. from the original Nightmare movie. Yeah, and it's just caught that that kind of that kind of quick transition from reality to 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 dream fiction world. Yeah, um, I love. I've always loved that about the franchise as a whole and how you know I, I think Nightmare on Elm Street Four does it really well on just how the lines are so blurred that you don't know at what point you're in the dream world and what point you're um, in reality. So. Sure. Yeah, and I love that about any film franchise when, you know, some people complain about the final film kind of going back to the original and just kind of copying. I think that's awesome. I think when a ser- when a series comes full circle and mirrors itself a bit, yeah. I-, I-, I love it. Like, as a fan, I, like, I crave that kind of stuff. It's... That's I don't great. know why people complain about that kind of thing. It's stupid. You're yeah, well, stupid, people. And again, it makes <laughs> and again, it makes sense here. It's not they're not 
ripping it off because they don't have any original idea. It is the original idea. It, it totally makes sense in the storyline that things would start to devolve and basically turn into the original movie. Which yeah. is very, very cool. I love it. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's what... I'd probably... I don't know. I might even say New Nightmare is my favorite, but that feels like sacrilegious because oh. there would be... There would be no new nightmare without the original, but uh, it's just it's the first one I remember seeing, and I, I just I love it so much. Whoa, whoa, so, whoa, whoa! Do you say you saw this before any of the other Nightmare on Streets? Yeah, Weird. I did. So were you lost at all in all the reference? Weird. I mean, I didn't fully comprehend everything. I just remember it terrifying me when I was younger, and then. After watching more of this series, I went back and revisited it at one point, and I understood more of it and yeah. loved it even more. Like, it's just awesome. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, can we take a moment to appreciate uh, Wes Craven's acting, not only in this, but in maybe Body Bags? Because he's a fucking creep in Heck body yeah. bags. Oh, yeah. <laughs> body bags. Uh, he's a good actor. Yeah, yeah. He is, yeah. Plays a, plays a pretty good himself in this. I mean, I that's think, not an easy thing to do. I mean, you just, you, can't, you just can't turn this switch on and off. No, but I think, like, it, um, I think that should be also a testimony to him as a director that if he can also if he also can act because as a director somebody who's directing actors for dozens of years yeah you know and and getting performances out of people he's got to know where that comes from so it makes sense yeah yeah i've met his character in body bags several times <laughs> <laughs> didn't we say that like he had a little bit of justin beam yeah, he does. Not in the creepiness, just the way he right, was yeah. like as right. a person. Not in the creepiness. Mm-hmm. Not in the character, but... <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, boy. Just kidding. We love you, Justin. <laughs> oh, man. I was just... I instantly thought of... Um, his role as Walter in Demonica and how much of a creep he is. <laughs> there we that's go. All, that's, that's all <laughs> I was thinking. Uh-huh. Same caliber of creepiness there. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay, moving on. Unless <laughs> anybody else has anything to add to New Nightmare? Nope. Okay. So... You know, Wes Craven back uh, back into theaters there. You know, had you know some some little success there with New Nightmare, and it was enough to get him his next gig in 1995 with Vampire in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, I don't turn off many movies, but uh, oh, really? Yeah. Whoa. I did turn off this. Holy cow, and this is coming from the host of Everything Horrible, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I didn't think it was that awful. Like, 
<laughs> this this one is on Netflix, by the way. That's the only reason I even oh, watched okay. Um, and I vaguely remembered seeing at least a part of this before, just because I remembered Eddie Murphy as a vampire for some reason. But, oh, <laughs> um, hmm. Why doesn't someone else talk about this? I feel like I talk too much. <laughs> I don't know. I. It's definitely. It's definitely not up to his caliber of filmmaking. But, again, reading production problems that they've had they had on this film, it makes sense on the screen because the biggest problem I have with this movie is like, what is it supposed to be? What is this movie supposed to be? Is it a comedy or is it a horror film? Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. it, it never quite makes up its mind which it's going to be. And then when you read kind of the behind the scenes on it, then it totally makes sense. Because Eddie Murphy wanted to do this movie. He wanted to make a vampire movie. He wanted Wes Craven to direct it. And he wanted to play it serious. He wanted to do a serious performance. The producers kept pushing Wes Craven... Uh, uh, to, to make it more of a comedy because Eddie Murphy is a comedian and he's bankable as a comedian so that's where it, the whole movie just feels so mishmash on not knowing what genre it really is supposed to be <clears throat> and you get those moments of like classic Eddie Murphy playing multiple characters in costumes you know Ugh. And that's where it really feels like, okay, is this supposed to be a comedy? Like, when he's the preacher, that is a funny scene. That is yeah. typical Eddie Murphy turning it on. I, I was so disappointed when I was watching this movie because the beginning is actually, like, it's a pretty serious performance like I was like oh I did I mean there are comedy elements I mean you have your supporting cast who are making funny quips and things oh god I almost forgot about uh, what's his name yeah who kind of is the Renfield character yeah yeah the yeah. the guy who plays his ghoul or whatever like he's awesome yeah. and then there's like the landlord like the two guys sitting at on the dock or whatever at the beginning like that supporting cast it was it was really funny and it wasn't anything that was too overpowering because eddie murphy was actually a fairly serious part but then at one point it all just seemed to shift when all of a sudden eddie murphy was eddie murphy as this character and eddie murphy mm -hmm. like he went back to his nutty professor days and start i was just so mad that that happened i'm like no yeah. like there was like real potential here for something really hilarious and i mean and there were fun parts but i don't know they ruined it i blame the producers now that you have told me the that factoid i'm sad yeah yeah and it kind of sounds like that you know that can you could say that about um, quite a few of of his misses. You know, we mentioned Last House on the Left Part Two before, that that was out of his control. You know, and and um, Deadly Friend was also a victim of that, of like too many, too many, too many cooks in the kitchen there for uh, too many cooks for those films. Like there was an obnoxious amount of producers on <laughs> Deadly Friend. Where they all wanted something different out of that movie, 
And as a director, like, at some point, you just gotta, like, throw your hands up. Like, what the hell? Who's making this movie? So, yeah. Anyway, but, yeah. It, uh, and Vampire in Brooklyn, definitely. I saw this in the theater, yo. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't turn it off. Aww. <laughs> just walk away. It wasn't. I did. It had its moments. Again, but. my my thing is like, um, I'm starting. You know, I listen to so many podcasts now. It's it's unreal. Um, and one of my issues, and Jason's talking about like people who are overly negative, and I know I brought this up on the show before. One of my biggest pet peeves is quickly growing to be people who overanalyze movies, and like whatever happened to the term suspension of disbelief you know why can't a movie just be exist as a movie why do you have to pick it apart i mean yeah it, there's maybe logic holes on why this character is doing this and not the other thing but if the character did the smart logical reality based thing we wouldn't have a movie so shut the fuck up and just watch it you know but with that said i want to say with vampire in brooklyn going back to my point of like they can't make up its mind what it wants to be because when it when it tries to be a horror film, it, it really tries to set the boundaries of being grounded in reality just with the supernatural vampire. But then you get like crazy moments like when he blows up the dog. Like what what was that oh. about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he shoots the dog up in the air and yeah. like it comes down as a smoke ball into the water. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Um, or or, or when the when the vampire's ship comes to the port and it's like just crashing through the dock and everything, and those two guys are sitting in there just watching what was it, Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune or whatever, and they're just sitting there, you know, in in a non-comedic reality, you would have heard that ship destroying the dock, you know. It's just things like that, or yeah. like when her <laughs> when. When her roommate goes to have sex with Vampire Eddie Murphy, and they go into the bedroom, and then you can hear him attack her, and then blood comes out of the keyhole? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like... Yeah, that made me crack up. Crack what up. the hell happened to cause blood <laughs> to come out of the keyhole? It's deep. But then when you go and see the room at the next day, there's no blood anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and and another thing um, that I take issue with this movie is like it, it it never really defines its rules for for the vampire lore. Yeah. And this I would think would be something that would bother Jason quite a bit because I know we get into fun arguments at times about things like like Green Lantern, for example, and. He calls. What, what, how do you refer to Green Lantern? J well, I don't. The Green Convenience. I don't know. Yeah. Like yeah. the superpower. Uh, I'll just. I'll just create anything with my mind to get us out of this problem. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> and that is the vampire in this movie because there's no. There's nothing that says what his powers actually are, but he has them all. And only when he only when he really needs them to push the story forward. You know. So like he can he can blow up dogs he can morph into um, other characters you know he could turn into 
like a mist. He can um, whatever he do... needs to get out of the situation. Yeah, exactly. You know, he can do mind control, and yet the whole movie is about him trying to get Angela Bassett. Why doesn't he just control her mind? Movie over. <laughs> Maybe. Like he needs to suspend disbelief. Maybe he can't, because she's supposed to be a half-vampire. Maybe he can't. Well, then... Then he does later. So, uh... It's not the point, Terry. (sighs) No, no, that is the point, because you're saying maybe it's this. (laughs) The movie should have told us that, in some form or another. There has to be some rules told to us here, you know? Lost Boys, those vampires, we knew what the rules were. Garlic didn't garlic didn't do a darn thing. Okay? Yeah. But religious symbols still did all of all of its thing that it does, you know. It's a fright night, fright night, another good example, you know. The religious artifacts would work only if you truly believed. You know, garlic again didn't do squat, you know, um, Sunlight kill whatever, but those rules were set for us, and they never deviated the from mirror. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This this movie, the whatever his powers are, and I would be fine with having all these powers, but those powers have to have to be. There has to be a continuity with that. It has to the be whole set movie. up before they are used. Yes, exactly. Somehow. Mm-hmm. I think they call that writing. <laughs> a screenplay, right? A I'm story sure in general. Yeah, I'm not sure who wrote this. I don't think Wes did. Even though Maybe it was he... Kevin Williamson. <laughs> hey. <laughs> oh, well, sorry. That's just my go-to. Um, writer. Eddie Murphy is oh. one. Oh. Let's see. Eddie Murphy, Vernon Lynch, Charlie Murphy... Charlie Murphy. And then I want to do this. And then I want to turn into a dog. Okay. Michael Lucker and Chris Parker. See? You just named off more than one person. Yeah. That's... Too many cooks. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it, it had potential, but did not fulfill its potential, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, I would love, I would love to have seen... Any Murphy in this role in either direction, if it was just let's go for the yeah, com- let's just go exactly. for it comedy wise, or let's do it serious. You know, I agree. but yeah, yeah, like I think he was actually like the moments where he was attempting to be a more serious vampire and be kind of brutal. Like he was actually decent. Like I could see him being that character, mm-hmm. but then yeah, it was just a jumble fuck of weirdness that no one knew what they were doing and did not come off well. Yeah. Yeah. Alright. Well, moving along. Um, wow, I, we talked a lot more about Vampire and Brooklyn than I thought we actually would. <laughs> that was, that's awesome. Yeah. More than anybody. Yeah. <laughs> How quickly we breezed through the first half of his filmography. I was getting nervous for the latter. <clears throat> Um, next up, uh, now we're in the 1996 with Scream, and then Scream 2 and 97. We really dug into those movies pretty good. We did, and, yeah, um, the past yeah, couple episodes. past couple episodes. Know. 
Yeah, so probably won't get into that too much unless anybody has anything more they want to add that hasn't already been discussed. No. That's what I thought. <laughs> and then then there's the the Dark Dark Times in West Korea. Hey. In 1999. Hey. When he made I like this movie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> when he made the Meryl Streep movie. Music of the Heart. <laughs> I have seen this movie, I... <laughs> and I did not know it was Wes Craven. Holy oh my shit. god! Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I I went and looked at his filmography one time, and I saw his name. I saw this movie on there, and I was like, "Wait, that's not that's that's not the same movie." And it is. Oh. It's a really it's a really good movie, but I had no idea it was a Wes Craven movie. Yeah. <laughs> so his Furious crazy. Seven? What was that? Yeah. It's, now it we've come full circle. Yes, this was his Furious Seven. And what happened after this movie? Went back to horror. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well like, okay, this came out, do you remember in the late ninety mid to late nineties, the um the music in our schools, like that whole fundraising thing, was really huge. Does anyone else remember that? Yeah, yeah. Like everyone was like, "Oh, music in our schools!" Everyone, save music. yeah, save music programs. Um, well, this movie came out during that, and it's about Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. Streep. You're right, first time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she. She's te- it's her teaching a bunch of inner city school kids how to play violin, and it's a really touching movie. And I remember there was like Gloria Estefan is in the movie, and there was a theme song with her and In Sync, and of course I know that because I was a boy band freak, but it uh. I know, but it was <laughs> it, it was uh it's a really it's a really good heartfelt movie I just correlate like ugh, that the fact that it's Wes Craven directing it is just so weird but <laughs> he was I on mean, autopilot I'm sure <laughs> no this was a this is this was a passion project for him the only reason why Scream 2 and Scream 3 got made is because of this movie because he it was it was his deal he, he had a three he had a three picture deal two of them were to be um uh, to be continu- continuing the Scream franchise, um, as, and then the third one was what he wanted to do. So, huh. yeah, it's not bad. I mean, it's you know, it's <laughs> it's like um, Sister Act without all the sister. <laughs> <laughs> that that was the tagline they were gonna use. <laughs> Got changed this last minute. I I thought it. I cried, but I'm a big ball Aww. baby when it comes to movies. But I thought it was good. Again, we've spent <laughs> way more time talking about music of the heart on a horror movie podcast than we did the Hills Have Eyes. So maybe we should move on. Um, and then after that movie. Oh, he goes back to horror with Scream 3. Or comedy, one of the two. (laughs) It's not that bad, you guys. I (laughs) like it. Is that not... 
Because you said you watched that again recently, right? Is yeah, that I watched or? it again before our Guilty Pleasures, and I was talking about that as one of my Oh, that's pleasures. right. Because apparently everyone else hates it. I hadn't seen it probably since the theater. I just I remember at the time. I'm not saying I hated it. It's just I think it's the weakest of the series. Yeah. Were you asking if it was on Netflix? Yeah. Yeah, all all four of the screen movies are currently on Netflix. Ooh. Nice, nice. Because three is the only one I don't own on DVD, so. Yep, tis on there. I will check it out. No, <laughs> I say that, but I won't. Yeah, I know. Then he goes through another dry spell. I'm like, he was on a roll there for a while. Like, uh, it's yeah. kind of weird to think about. Think about because in my brain, um. I, it felt like there were years between New Nightmare and Scream, but it was only like two years. It felt like it was like five to ten years. But it was it was like ninety four New Nightmare, ninety five Vampire in Brooklyn, ninety six Scream, ninety seven Scream two, ninety nine Music from the Heart, two thousand Scream three, and then a five year dry spell um, until he made in two thousand five he made Cursed. Yeah. Woo. Which I really need to see as much as you guys love this movie. But the title matches the production <laughs> of this movie. Because I've heard nothing about bad, just this whole, that whole movie being a bad experience for everybody. That's pretty good. I enjoy it. Yeah. Just give it a chance. Yeah, I want. I, I, I want. You guys have really talked me into wanting to watch it. Blue so. or red? Red. Red. Watch the red one. Is that like the uncut director's thing? Yeah, unrated version. Unrated version? Okay. Which makes this better. Just. Is there a significant difference between that and the. Uh, It's like um, the last house on the left, like on steroids. (laughs) What? (laughs) I'm joking. It's not even close. (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I think there's like one or two scenes, maybe a little bit more gore, um, because it uh, it was PG-13, but this I think they added maybe a few more curse words. So, uh, <laughs> love curse words. Yeah. So much, yes, yeah. I do. I love curse words. That's how people talk. Like yeah. seriously. That's bullshit. So, Mike, do you think that, like, directors just sit at home and wait to do movies? Like, they have lives, you know, like... <laughs> well, because maybe, they said he had a dry spell Yeah, maybe years. he had a kid or something in there. You don't, like... Well, yeah, yeah, I know. Do you just... I'm do you? Do you just think they all, like, why the fuck... I've heard you so many times be like, and then this motherfucker didn't even make a movie for ten more years. <laughs> why didn't he? And you're like... And I'm like, well, you know, they're... There could be reasons. <laughs> Those reasons have no effect on my life. I, I want another movie. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just again. I just, I just saying like he was on a he was on a roll there for a while, man. It was just like back to back, film after film after film, and he was on a he was on a winning streak. Like even Scream Three was successful. So yeah, you're right. It probably was something personal, you know, or whatever. That's neither here nor there. It's just, I don't know, it's just interesting to go from one, or just maybe needed some time off, but to go from one film one night right after another 
and then take a break like that. I don't know. He's just due for a break. Maybe, I think I'm just like overly concerned with great horror directors having a break in their career because it always makes me think of George Romero and how he'd been fucked all over all those years by studios and all that nonsense. Don't get me on my soapbox about that. Uh -huh. Good. Okay. No, because we're talking about Wes Craven. So, well, and then... Also in 2005 was the release of Red Eye. Yeah. 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 You guys seen, <laughs> you guys seen that? Again, yeah. now we're back to a departure from horror. Is this not a horror movie? No, you're right. It's not. It had a misleading teaser, right? Oh, my God, yeah. it was misleading. Yeah. yeah. It but totally I still played like a horror movie. Well, it, it has some elements. Like, I just, I, I just watched this the other day. Um... And I would say it's probably more along the lines of I don't know actiony movie. Yeah. But it has it has horror elements, sort of. There's not really any gore or anything. It's more psychological, I guess. Like this guy is fucking stalking you, and he's about ready to ruin your entire life, sort of horror than anything else, but. Yeah, it's just being on a plane and somebody yeah, doing something like that to you and not being able to do anything about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, the situ it's situational horror for sure, but yeah. you know, I think I think it still falls into the genre. I enjoyed it too. I thought it was it was really it was really well done. It's short though. It is. It's very short. It it's is. Like, it's only eighty five minutes. Well. Anything with Killian Murphy, like he's just such a good actor. Like he's, he's such a good creep in like everything. <laughs> um, he he just did a really good job. And Rachel McAdams surprised me. I don't think I've really ever seen her in this sort of role, but I, I really enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. You were all kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's totally good. Rachel McAdams. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Then in 2010, he made My Soul to Take. Now, uh, where I'm like the only one who liked it, I think. <laughs> I still haven't seen it. Oh. Yeah, me neither. I don't it's... know what this is. Okay. Oh, God. Don't rely on me to remember much about it. Yeah, it's been years since I saw it, but well, at, at the very at the very most, only five. Well, yeah. <laughs> but what's I, I watched? I watched it when I was working at the video store. Um, I don't know. I don't recall liking it a whole lot, but was there a break before this one? Well, yeah, Red Eye between Red Eye and My Soul to Take was um, another five year stint. Because it seemed was, like I totally remember it being like, "Oh fuck, Wes is back." Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then I also think that was also during the time we were, we were also skipping over Cursed. So. <laughs> yeah. And then Red Eye doesn't count because it didn't really feel like a horror movie. But Scream, yeah. so Scream Three in two thousand to My Soul to Take in two thousand ten. It felt like oh, Wes Craven's back, the horror guy's back, you know. But 
I don't know. It just seemed that around this time, there was a lot of that stuff like uh, produced, produced by, yeah. Wes Craven. And so it got mixed in. Like this, to me, I didn't know that he directed this. So Yeah, I think you're right. I thought for sure. It it would, I thought it was just a, yeah, a uh, Wes Craven produced film. Or Wes Craven Presents. Which I got a few dot points of those to mention as well. And then, well, okay, since you guys don't remember my soul to take. And then last, his last film I did was Scream 4 in 2011. So I'm just saying it's time for him to, it's time for another film. He's got one more Agreed. year. He's got one more year for that Oh, five for years. another, another five-year gap. Yeah. But the thing is, if you go on his IMDb page, there's like nothing in production, even. There's like yeah, no, right. I don't see anything. Yeah. So, Come on, Les. He posts on Twitter all the time. <laughs> I follow him. He's an active Twitterer. Tweeter. He's good he, at Twitter. He needs to stop tweeting things and direct a new movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell him. <laughs> all right. I'll tweet, tweet him. at him. Hey. Tell him about our episode. And- yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so that is the directing filmography of Wes Craven. I like I said, I um, I did jot down some of the produced by ones, um, executive producers like the stuff that had his name attached to him, like The Last House on the Left remake in '09, uh, Hills Have Eyes remake in '06, and Part Two in '07. A film called The Breed in 06. Anybody familiar with that? No. Uh-uh. Yeah, me neither. Oh, <laughs> shoot. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna save this one for last, so I'm way out of order here. Dracula 2000 in the year um, um, 2000. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys see that? Yeah. Now, yeah. that was the opposite where I, like, I thought I was going in to see a Wes Craven movie. And I so I was duped by the whole Wes Craven Presents bullshit. Yeah. Um, and I I left pretty dis- disappointed. Although I thought the uh, the ending reveal was kind of a nice twist. I forgot what it was. Well, spoiler alert. Uh, well, Terry, you said you hadn't seen it. Right. And does anybody give a shit? If I... Nope. Okay. Um, he turns out to be, uh, wait, shit, now I'm forgetting. Did he turn out out to be Judas or actually Jesus? I don't know. It was was totally tied into the Bible. Like, like Dracula ended up being like either Jesus or, um, or Judas. I can't remember which. I'm assuming, I'm assuming Judas because Jesus would probably be. Would have probably caused a lot of upheaval. So I mean, I thought that was kind of neat, but other than that, wasn't that good of a film. Um, in '98, uh, Revol Souls. He was a he was a executive producer in '97 on <coughs> The Wishmaster. You know the movie that I think everybody in horror <laughs> had a hand in at one point or another. Um, something called Mind Ripper in '95. Mind Ripper. Sorry. <laughs> that's what? That's how you say it. Yep. Okay. My apologies. Mind Ripper. In yes. 
And then, um, and he had a producer's credit on Nightmare on Elm Street three in eighty seven. I know he. Um, I think he had his hands in one of the drafts too of of that film. Which why it feels like that one's so much more connected to the first film than than most of the others in the franchise. So. And then saving the best for last. I totally forgot about this till I saw it on his IMDb page, Jason. Yeah. Um, he was a producer on Feast. Oh. Remember that whole thing, that whole season of um, Project uh, Greenlight? Greenlight, where they were, it's like, this time we're doing a horror movie. So they brought Wes Craven into the fold. Yeah. Yeah. He probably doesn't regret that at all. <laughs> well, the show was awesome. I like the, the show movie. Was, yeah. The show was awesome. You know, and and you know they they chose Gulliger for because it made for good drama. Of the show, just those episodes where he's just like nobody's believing in him, and you know, or, or he just he can't make a decision or he can't put his foot down about things, and yeah. just so humble about things. And he's got he's got the uh, producers jumping down his back about everything, and. Made for a good show. I wish they put those those shows on like DVD or something or on Netflix or something. I would love to go back and watch those episodes. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. But the movie turned out okay. I think yeah. it's still I think it's still Gulliger's best film. Yeah. It's not really saying much, no. but no. But you obviously once you've seen a two of his movies you realize he's got a style. It's not a style that I care for. <laughs> the style of like let's edit this the most crazy way possible because we forgot to film some things that's what the movie feels that's what that's what the style feels like yeah <clears throat> even piranha three double three double d or yeah three double d is like that so that yeah i just want to mention the the executive produced buys so, yeah. there we go. There we have it. Wes Craven. Wesley Wes. Woo. Wesley. Okay. <laughs> Anybody have some final thoughts on Wes Craven before we take a break? Come back. Do some. Yeah. Please come back. Did he ever do a, a Masters of Horror? No, he didn't, which is interesting. There was there's a couple of those classic guys that really got left out of that. Okay. Um, Wes was one of them, and George Romero was the other one that never did an episode from that from that that series. Now you realize too. I think Justin brought this up when we were talking to him one time. They still all get together and do dinner. Like what? there's always the Masters of Horror dinner. Huh. Um, huh. And I know there's other people that attend that now too, like Adam Green and and some of those guys. But uh, yeah, yeah. So it's still kind of a thing. They just don't do episodes of that show anymore. Hmm. So I don't know if uh, if Wes and and George and guys like that are inclu- ever included in in that side of things or not. But yeah, they never they were never involved in the show, which is weird that they weren't. But then you get like. I don't know. I'm trying to think of somebody <laughs> that probably shouldn't have done one. Um, I know what you're thinking, Jason. Hmm. John Landis. Well, yeah. 
He had two episodes. Anyway, whatever. <clears throat> so, yeah. So, that's Wes Craven. One of the greats. Yeah. One of the greatest. Yep. Okay. Let's take a break. Come back. Do some segments. We'll be right back. Good evening. It's intermission time. Our service is friendly and quick. You'll find hot dogs, hamburgers, pizza, your favorite candies, hot and cold beverages, and other delicious snacks. So add to your fun of watching the movie. Visit our refreshment stand right now. We're glad to have you with us tonight. We hope you'll come to see us often. It's great to get out to the movies. Do you find your life lacking meaning and purpose? Do you get up every morning and say, there's gotta be a better way? Are you a horror film fan and don't understand why your friends and family hasn't seen Necromantic? Do you know people who say that they love Jason from the Nightmare on Elm Street movies? Are you bored with your current podcast? Do you find yourself answering these questions out loud and getting weird looks from other people in your office? Well, now you never have to worry about those nasty stains again. Now you have a meaning to your boring, miserable life because now you can listen to... Attack of the Killer Podcast. That's right, Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attack of the Killer Podcast has all the vitamins and minerals for a well-balanced breakfast. On Attack of the Killer Podcast, you can marvel at the crew as they discuss various horror films, such as High Tension and High, high Tension. Listen with your ear holes as the attackers pick a topic and then derail from that topic for at least an hour every episode. Be extremely disturbed as you learn the true love Insane Mike has for his Jason Goes to Hell DVD. But wait, there's more. The gang at Attack of the Killer Podcast give you their guarantee that every episode will contain at least two hours of in-depth horror discussion. Or at least until they get bored, which usually happens after about the first 30 minutes. Listen to what this satisfied customer has to say about Attack of the Killer Podcast. Who the hell are you? What are you doing in my bathroom? So don't wait. Follow the rest of the mindless sheep and listen to Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attack of the Killer Podcast can be heard at attackofthekillerpodcast.com or at stitcher.com. You can also follow Attack of the Killer Podcast on Facebook at Attack of the Killer Podcast or on Twitter at AOTKP. So act now. Offers limited. Operators are standing by. Blah, 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 blah. And we're back. And it's segments time here segments. on Attack of the Killer Podcast. <laughs> so let's go, let's start off with uh, Jason and um, do some shout outs. It's time for shout outs! All right, so I asked, what are your favorite Wes Craven films? And on Facebook, um, Jack Christensen says, Last House on the Left, Nightmare on Elm Street, New Nightmare, People Under the Stairs. Uh, Lisa Norvell Owen says, Scream, Scream 2, 3, and 4. And The Serpent and the Rainbow. Two very very different. (laughs) I knew it. (laughs) Uh, Derek Patella says The Hills Have Eyes Nightmare 1 and 7 Scream Red Eye I said of course this can change at any time depending on my mood (laughs) (laughs) Kind of agree 
Casey Bates says, of course, Scream, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Deadly Friend are all classics. I respect what Last House on the Left uh, did for cinema, but it's one of those I-need-a-shower movies for me. It is for everyone. Yes, it is. (laughs) And if it's not, uh, seek help. Yeah. (laughs) Our, let's see, uh, Derek John says, Nightmare on Elm Street, Shocker. See, I knew Derek was cool. Uh, Deadly Friend, Scream 1 and 2. He he says he's 50-50 on a lot of his films. You could do you could do a show on bad Wes Craven films too. Maybe. Uh, we just did them all. Yeah, we just did them all. Yeah. And then Jack also did the last house trivia about the about the horno. Uh, <laughs> you know, horno is actually Spanish <laughs> for oven. Oh. It still works. Yeah, it does. <laughs> See, you tried to ruin it, Terry, but no. I, I wasn't trying to ruin it. It oh. was just some trivia for you. <laughs> and then on Twitter, uh, Kevin Summerfield at Slasher Studios says, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, New Nightmare, Last House on the Left, People Under Stairs, Deadly Friends, Scream, and Scream 2. Nice. And then uh, just side note, on, on Twitter we had someone else reply to us the other day. Um, said that recommended by Attack of the Killer podcast, John dies at the end. Successfully oh, melds yeah. Bill and Ted with Lovecraft. Love 90, fun 90 minutes, he says. That awesome. Was, that was Sean Hutchins, Fat Punk, 68. I love it when people watch movies based on, on <laughs> our bullshit. So. That's pretty cool. Read the I book, love it. Sean. Read the book. That's better. Yeah. Although my favorite is when Derek watches movies based on my recommendations and it turns out horribly wrong, so that's that's good. (laughs) You waste everybody's time. Yeah, it's awesome. Wait till we get to Insane's Picks. Oh, gosh. And uh, we haven't had anybody call in yet, but uh, you can always call in anytime. Leave your voicemail message. Uh, You can call at 415-952-6857 or 415-952. A-O-T-K-P, and that's shout-outs. Awesome. Thank you for shout-outs, Jason. Whoop-whoop. Always awesome. Dang right. Yeah. Okay, so let's go over to Terry for her segment, Wicked Words, with Where Terry... Ow, 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 ow. <laughs> keep up with all of our um, recordings, but as you guys know, we put out episodes every other week, and reading a book every other week (laughs) is a little difficult for me. So, to fill in the gaps where I can't quite finish a book, I'm going to try to keep you up to date on some up-and-coming horror literature news. Um, Today, I'm going to be talking about a new comic series that's coming out based on a video game, Dustin. <clears throat> uh, yes. <laughs> uh, 
Um, the Evil Within, it's a fairly new video game, I believe. Um, but there is a comic that is coming out based on the video game. I don't think that's something that happens frequently. I could be wrong. But it looks pretty cool. Um, let's see. The writer is an Ian Edgington. Um, artist Alex Sanchez and Ed Anderson. Um, I've seen this poster on several websites. I'm looking at Dread Central at the moment. Uh, they've posted uh, a little preview of what the art and some of the storyline will be. And the art just, it looks killer. Like, it is brutal and just beautiful. I am kind of excited to read through this, but I'm not, and I'm not even, I'm not really familiar with the video game myself, but I think the comic will stand alone. Um, from what I see, the comic is actually a prequel to the video game, so it has more storyline than what was already present. So even people who have played the video game can read the, through the comic and get a bit more storyline to go with it. But keep an eye out for that. Um, I can post the link to our, our uh, Facebook if anyone else wants to check it out. But it looks pretty awesome. The Evil Within. Yeah, cool. No, I just looked up the cover and it's got the box head guy on it. And yeah. Looks pretty. It, look, it looks awesome. Yeah, it's a pretty messed up game, so I imagine it's probably going to be a pretty messed up comic. <laughs> So now it's time for Insane's Picks. Well, thanks, Insane, for that intro. Appreciate it. Um, so we were talking about before uh, the losses that we had in the horror community of late. I decided to do um, a film... Um, featuring James Best. Uh, this film is from, oh crap, uh, 1998, uh, and it's called Death Mask. Um, <clears throat> and w why I love this movie is not only does it have James Best in it, but it's also got Linnea Quigley. Yeah. Ah, yeah, I know her. Mm. Yeah. So, the story goes, uh, James Best plays Wilbur. Wilbur works at this old carnival. Um, he's kind of the uh, carnival um, carnival freak is his job in the carnival because his face is horribly scarred. And his, his face was scarred by a sadistic father who burned his face. Everybody makes fun of his scars, and when the new boss of the carnival ends up firing him, he goes to the old swamp witch who gives him a piece of wood from a hanging from a hanging tree and Wilbur makes a mask out of the piece of wood and puts all his anger into the mask and whenever he puts on the mask everybody looks looks on this mask ends up committing suicide because Wilbur has created the death mask Mm. So, this movie's... I love this movie a lot. It's a little slow-paced. Um, it's directed by Steve Latshaw, um, who kind of comes from the uh, Fred Olin Ray camp. 
Um, he's done a lot of stuff that Fred Olmore has produced. Um, and I think Steve even directed Return of the Killer Shrews, if I remember right. But uh, um, <clears throat> what I really like about this movie, it's not something that you would typically see from Steve Latshaw or James Best or even Linnea Quigley. Like, uh, you know, Linnea Quigley can be, is known for more of her um, over-the-top, um, outrageous characters that she does. And then this one, she... she um, Everybody's really restrained in this movie. It's it's it's, it's much more of a um, everything's played pretty straight in this in this film. I mean, you know, I still kind of wears its budget on its sleeve, but I still really enjoy the performances out of James and just seeing seeing the chemistry between James and Linnea in this movie um, uh, is really fun to watch. And I I think it's also one of Linnea's best performances, because again, she's she's more subdued in it than being the over-the-top character like Trash or, or Spider from Sorority Babes, or her character from Nightmare Sisters, or whatever the case may be. So, um, yeah, so it can kind of be kind of slow-paced, it's not an overly action-y film, but, uh, you know, and it's got, but it does have that carnival atmosphere, which is which I always really enjoy seeing in movies. I just love, love carnivals captured on film. Um, it's just an amazing backdrop for any film. Um, so if you get a chance, it's, it's not the easiest film to find, but if you could find it, uh, definitely check out, especially right now in, uh, in memory of James Best, Roscoe Pico Chain, uh, Death Mask. Ooh. Cool. Nice. Awesome. So that's it, boys and girl. That's, uh, uh-huh. that's you, Terry. That's me. <laughs> oh yeah, Terry too. Boys and girls. Oh. That is another. Mm. So now you wonder who the other girl is. Um. That's another episode. <laughs> Done. Finished. We yeah. can wipe our hands clean of this one. And now I will spend the next couple weeks frantically trying to think of another topic. So. Hurry up. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So that concludes another episode. Thanks, guys, for being on. We've had a good time talking about Wes Craven. Heck yeah. Woo! Mm -hmm. All right, well, we'll talk to you all later. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Oh no, could this be the end of? <laughs> Attack of the killer.